Let me just remind you here what we're looking at, and we're studying uh, what we have termed to be, excuse me, Scripture's hard to be understood. And it refers to verses, and I'm quoting actually from a scripture that's found in Second Peter. Uh, and uh, it's concerning scriptures that sometimes are hard for us to get a hold of, and we wonder what the significance is and the deeper meaning of them are. And I'm going to share a lot of these things with you. I have about somewhere around a dozen of these scriptures that I'm going to use from, from week to week in this uh, mini-series that we are in and refer to them. Some of, some of the things that we'll be referring to are things that are con- seem to be contradictive. It's where the scripture says one thing in one place, another place says something else, all like they contradict each other, but they really do not. Just like I used for an example last week about water baptism. You know, it says, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Matthew 28, 19. Yet the apostles all baptized in Jesus' name, which seemed to be a contradiction. And why, and why does it appear that way? And when you look at it closely, you see what it really is. The apostles actually were do, doing exactly what Jesus said. And I won't go into that. We did last week. But uh, we, are, uh, we are dealing with words and phrases and subjects of this, of this uh, type. And so today, I want to deal with the subject of the adoption, the adoption, the word adoption. And I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Romans 8.15, Romans 8.15. And uh, this is one that is greatly misunderstood, and I want to get into it here today because it has uh, a very beautiful realization to it that I think that we would all appreciate it. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to Romans chapter 8. And uh, if, you've got a, if you've got your Bibles and uh, you go to Romans 8, uh, put your little paper card or a handkerchief or something in that place because we'll be coming back and forth into this Romans chapter 8 here in our study here this morning. And if you look at verse 15, I'm going to start reading this verse of scripture here to uh, talk about what we want to be talking about here. But we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption. I want you to notice the word because this is what our first emphasis is on, is the word adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. A little further on into our lesson, I'm going to talk to you about the meaning of the word Abba, Father, and why it's there, where it came from, and how it is to be understood for us today. So Paul writing here says, You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, I might just add here that there is many who believe, and I think this is the assumption of most people from the surface of reading this, is that the word adoption means that we Gentiles are adopted into the family of God, that is, the family of Abraham, that is, the family of Israel, we are adopted into that family. And this is where the word adoption sometimes is misunderstood. It is believed that we are adopted into the family of Israel. I'm going to show you why that is not the case here this morning and what it really means. But looking at verse, the latter part of, of verse 15, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Father. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. Look at verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. 
if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, in conjunction with that verse of Scripture, this is Paul writing in Romans. I want you to turn with me over to the book of Second uh, Corinthians, First Corinthians. I'm sorry. I want you to turn over to Galatians, Galatians chapter four and verse four, four four in Galatians. Paul writing now to the Galatians instead of the Romans, and he says almost a, the identical same thing about the adoption here. Look at it very closely with me. This is four four. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. And one day I'll talk to you about the Lord sending, God sending forth the son. God sending forth the son. I'm going to talk to you about that one day. I'll share that some interesting things about it. That's a greatly misunderstood. Some people think God sent the son. If God sent the son from heaven down here and he was born a woman, huh? In heaven? You see what I'm saying? All right, I won't go any further. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Amen. Everybody's still with me. All right, so, so when the fullest time has come, God sent forth his son made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Notice that it says to redeem them under the law. That's the Jews. It was the Jews or it was Israel as a nation that was under the law, not the Gentiles. So it says, made of a woman, made, un, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So it was for the Jews to receive the adoption as well as the Gentiles. So in other words, everyone was to receive the adoptions through Jesus Christ. So what is the adoption? It's not the Jews because this bears out that it was also for them who were under the law. Verse 6 and 7, which is pretty well the same thing we read in over in Romans, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what is the adoption here and how the, the adoption here does not refer to us being adopted into the family of God or into the family of Israel. Uh, if you'll look with me here in this uh, Romans, going back to Romans chapter 8, and I want to read down through to you here what this whole verse section of the chapter of eight chapter of Romans is saying. It talks about the adoption in verse 15, 16. It talks about us being heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And then in the latter part of 17, it says that we may also be glorified together. Now, picking up at verse 19, just to save time, sometime I'll miss a verse or two if it's not pertinent to the issue, and I'll, so we can save time in reading. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly that... Uh, that, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. The creature here is speaking about the body or the flesh. And it says, shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the, of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And I'll come back to that in a moment. 
And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, waiting for the adoption. In other words, it's not here yet. We have not been adopted into the family of God, that is to Israel, but we are waiting for the adoption. The adoption is yet to come. And here's what it said, waiting for the adoption to wit, that is, that is to say, the redemption of our body. So what the adoption is, is the adoption of our bodies being adopted to a heavenly body. Now, let me just say this. When we are saved, our soul is saved, our spirit is saved, but this old body is still in the flesh. And the old flesh is still in the body. You understand what I'm saying? The body, praise the Lord. In other words, the Bible says we are body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. The body is what you see. The soul and spirit you don't see. The spirit is your life. Anything that's spirited is lively. The spirit is life. God gives that life. The soul is the individuality of yourself, who you are. That's you. That is the you that you are. That is the person that you are. That's the individual that you are, is the soul. And so the soul and the spirit are always together. When we die, and I have a Bible study that usually takes two major lessons to teach it, but it's, a, it's where are the dead? And in that lesson, I teach about how that when the body dies, the body is put in the grave, but the soul and the spirit goes back to God who gave it. I have all kinds of scriptures to give you on that. And in the resurrection, the soul and the spirit is united with the body, but not the same body. It comes forth in a glorified body, in a new body. And I've got scriptures all on that, and I won't go into detail. But this is what the adoption is. It's saying that even though we're saved, we're not out of the woods yet. Even though we're saved, we still have our problems and our difficulties because the adoption, praise the Lord, is yet to come. The adoption is not being grafted into the family of Israel, but it's that that's yet to come in which we have put, we put on a new body and our present earthly body that is to become corruptible shall have a glorified body. We do not yet know how we shall appear, but we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. I want you to look at a couple of these verses. Let me just point out some things to you here that may, uh, may maybe encourage your heart a little bit about your walk with God. Uh, let's look at verse 21, because the creature itself also, I'm looking at 821 here of Romans, because the creature also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. In other words, when we're saved, folks, we're saved from the world, we're saved from sin, we're saved from all of those things. And you know that. The Spirit of God comes in you. You've been baptized in Jesus' name. Your sins are washed away. You are in Christ. When the Holy Ghost comes inside of us, the Spirit of God is in us. We are in Christ, Christ in us. Just as I'm in the Father and the Father is me, so shall I be in you and you in me. And so we have the Lord. We have his presence. And our life is changed. It's a better life. It's a good life. Praise the Lord. It is. I mean, it's not like the world out here, but we're still in the flesh. And you're, you, we can't get away from it. And sometimes we'd like to say, God, I'd like to have a you know, body that don't hurt. I'm tired of pain. I'm tired of uh, my struggles or my problems, you know. But it's not there yet because we're waiting for the adoption. Amen. You say, Brother Myers, that's not encouraging. 
Well, it's the truth, <laughs> whether it's discouraging or encouraging. Praise God. Here's what it says here. Uh, it goes on to say in verse 22, 822 of Romans, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Everybody's in this situation. And not only they, that's the world, but ourselves also. We are still in the flesh, and we still have the problems of the flesh. We are also which have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the Spirit enough, Spirit of God that guides and directs us, but we still have these things in the flesh that we deal with. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And so let me just say this. I don't care how much you'd like to try to fight it off. We're all going to get older. I didn't say get old. I just said get older. Praise the Lord. And we're all going to get older. We'll all have aches and pains. We'll all have headaches sometimes. We'll all, you know, struggle to go to church. And it just comes with the territory. And don't say, oh, I thought God saved me. You know, let me just say something here. Sometimes this uh, television, television uh, religion, television Christianity, let me put it that way. Sometimes this television Christianity tries to make you think that you're supposed to be, you know, flitting around and dancing around on holy ground all the time when you get saved. It's not like that, folks. God's people still have battles. They have battles in the flesh. They have battles in the home. They have struggles. They have marriage problems, you know. Being saved helps us in all those things. Praise the Lord. My wife's informed me not to be telling people how long we've been married now. <laughs> we've been married such a It tells her age. She said, if you would, I'd just say you to go tell everybody how long we've been married now. Okay, but along the way, you know, we've had struggles and battles and conflicts and disagreements and everything like that. So have you. It all, it happens to everybody. But with God's help, we work through all those things. And, you know, your kids sometimes don't always do what you want them to do. And sometimes the kids do more better than the parents do. So I won't go in that direction. But I am trying to say here today that we are still in the flesh but the adoption, praise the Lord, is to do with this body when it's all finally comes together at the end. And so we wait for the adoption of the body. We wait for that. In the meantime, we go to church. We lift our hands. We praise the Lord. We worship God. We glorify his name. We sing praises unto the Lord. And when you go to church, folks, do that. Do that. Don't go to church and do this. Don't go to church and do this. Don't go to church and do this. Don't do any of that stuff. Go to church that I'm here for one purpose, and that's to glorify God. If you can't think of any reason to glorify God, just say, God, I'm glad you ever saved me, or I'm glad you saved my family, or I'm glad, Lord, that I can come to the house of worship and lift up my hands and praise you and thank you for who you are. He's the creator of everything. He made everything. You say, well, I can't think of anything to praise God for. Hey, did you see the sun come up this morning? Thank God for that. Amen. I go in my office on, on, on any morning, open the blinds, and daylight's coming. Praise the Lord. I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Another day. <coughs> so we have much to thank God for when you sit down to eat a meal. The Bible says that our food is sanctified by the word of God. 
I don't care if it's lobster or oysters or shrimp. It's still good. It's or pork. It's all right if it's because it's sanctified by prayer. Praise the Lord. So pray for your food. Well, I won't go there. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. But praise God for his goodness and his glory. And uh, the adoption, of course, is, the, is the, our bodies being glorified and being like unto his glorified body. Praise the Lord. Now, the other word I want to deal with here is Abba Father. Abba Father. If you'll notice here in Romans 8 and 15, it says here, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba Father. Abba Father. Now, the word Abba Father here is found three places in the Bible. Uh, The other place is found over here in Galatians that I just read to you. And this was the one that referred here to pretty well the same thing that we just looked at here in Romans uh, about, let me get to it here. Galatians 4, 4, and it's, it's verse 6, and it says, Because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And then verse 7 here coincides with that over in Romans in verse 17, where it says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And what he is saying is that the word Abba, Father, just doesn't mean generally speaking, Father. But it means that you are a definite son of God and that you are entitled to to be the heir of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. What God is going to give to his children, you are one of them. Praise the Lord. It's not just uh, it's not just saying, hey, hey, pop, you know. You may see some guy and say, hey, pop, how you doing? Or, or, you know, old man, you call him hey, dad, you know, something like that. You're not really your father. You may call him that. I'll show you in scripture where that was a common practice. But when you say Abba father, that means my father. That's very specific and very definite. And this is what Jesus did when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. Look over in uh, Mark, if you would. Uh, If you look with me in Mark, uh, this is verse 14, chapter 14, verse 35. Mark 14, 35, Jesus went forward a little and fell on his face. This is Mark's interpretation, or not interpretation, but his writings of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying before he went to Calvary. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And here's what he said, verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father. And notice that he said, Abba, Father here. And what he was saying that you are my father, I am, an, a, I am yours, I belong to you. <clears throat> I'm not just saying father as, you know, the father of all creatures. Excuse me. <clears throat> my father, personally. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. But then he says, nevertheless, not what I will, but thou, but what thou wilt. And another place says, not my will, but thy will be done. Nevertheless, he says in Matthew, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. It shall never be less than God's will. Praise the Lord. So Jesus went to the cross for us. But in the flesh, praise the Lord, it was suffering. He knew it was going to be suffering. The old flesh wished that he did not have to go to Calvary. And so he said, Abba, Father. 
And this was calling upon God because God was his father. Praise the Lord. Now, this heir, it means that you are an heir, and therefore God is going to give you the best he has because you are the heir of God. I'm reading over here in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 4. This is somewhat of a prophecy of this. Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, my father? Not speaking of the prophecy of Jesus in the garden, but speaking of Israel. Thou art the guide of my youth. Then down in verse 19, this is the same chapter from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 3, 19. But I said, how shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage? This is God speaking of the hosts of nations. And I said, this is God speaking, and I said, thou shalt call me my father, and thou shalt not turn away from me. And so it was a very specific role of saying not just father, but Abba father. Now you say, well, Brother Myers, I'm not quite clear on that. Let me give you an example here. I'm looking over here in Second uh, Kings, for instance. This is the story in Second Kings where Naaman the leper, who was the captain of the army of Syria, had leprosy. And a little Jewish girl that worked for him told his wife, if my <clears throat> master, which was Naaman the leper, if he would go to Israel, there is a prophet in Israel that would tell him what to do that his leprosy may be removed. So Naaman decides to do that. So he goes to the king and the king said, look, don't go picking on me. I don't know anything. I can't take away your leprosy. Then he says, look, go, go to Eli Elisha. Elisha can tell you what to do. So he rode up in front of Elisha and listen to this story. He rides, this is all in that fifth chapter here of second Kings. He rides up in front of the, the, the house where Elisha lived and he has his chariot and the horses and all his little small army and they gallop up in there all around and he's a big shot and he's the head of the big army of Syria. And he sends his servant to the door and he says, go knock on the door and tell the prophet in there uh, that uh, I have leprosy and I want to be healed. And the servant went up to the door, knocked on the door and Elisha's servant was standing at the door and Elisha had already instructed him now going to come this guy, this big shot in Syria, and you tell him he needs to go dip seven times in Jordan River. And he closed the door. So the prophet opened the door. He says, the prophet says, go tell, go tell your master, go dip seven times in Jordan River, and he shall be hit. Bang, shuts the door. He goes back and tells Naaman, and Naaman said, What? He never came out here. The prophet wouldn't come out here to even talk to me. What kind of, what kind of honor is he? He's, he's, he's not showing me any honor at all. And the Bible said he was very wroth. Very wroth. Verse 11, but Naaman was wroth and went, went away. He was mad as a hornet. <clears throat> and he drove away. And here's what happened. His servant, verse 13, this is what I'm getting at. This is what our subject is all about here. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father. Now notice that. These servants were not his sons. They were servants. Do you understand what I'm saying? But they said, My father. Because it was simply a title used to show respect. 
You know, if he had told you he'd done some great thing, he thought, I thought surely he would come and wave his arm all about and call fire down from heaven and all that kind of stuff and I'd be healed. But he said, they said, look, if he said, if he said baptize in Jordan, let's do it. So they talked Naaman into it. Naaman went there, but, but it was, he, he dipped himself seven times in Jordan River and when he came up, his skin was made whole and he was, he was healed. And it, it happened. Now, the point I'm bringing out to you is that his servants called him my father. Now, the irony of that is that this was a common use practice. Here's another verse just over in the sixth chapter. That was the fifth chapter of First Kings, Second Kings. This is the sixth chapter of Second Kings. And this is where the king of Israel comes to Elisha. And verse 21, and the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, my father Shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? Speaking of the Assyrian army that had come to his, that had been brought to his doorsteps and Elisha had sent them there. It's a long story. I won't go into that. But again, he calls it my father. You will find this kind of a phrase all through the Old Testament. So what I'm trying to say here is that people would say my father when they were not a father. Well, when you said Abba father, the word Abba, you know, is, is, uh, is that New Testament word that came from the Chaldeans. And uh, Aramaic is the language that was of the New Testament. And Aramaic was that language they spoke. And in the, in the true Aramaic and from the Chaldean language, Abba meant father. But it meant, I am your heir. Now, do you understand here why Jesus was praying? And when he said, you know, my father or Abba father. And the Lord said over here in Romans, everything, you shall say Abba father. What means I'm your heir and I'm going to inherit everything God has for us. That's what it means, folks. And we're still in the flesh yet. We have not received everything. Let me go to another verse. I want you to go with me to, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. And this is the resurrection chapter. The resurrection chapter. This is talking about the resurrection of the dead. It goes, it, gives, it goes into extensive detail about it. Look at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Verse 21, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. In other words, through Adam we die, but through Jesus Christ we live. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Notice here, in Christ shall all, everybody in Christ shall be made alive. You want to be in Christ. How do you get in Christ? Being baptized in his name, having his spirit in you. Be in Christ. And the Bible talks about the dead in Christ shall rise. Over in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I won't go any further into that. Look at verse 23 here. <clears throat> but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. That's the resurrection. Now, going advancing a little further into this 15th chapter, because the entire chapter is about the resurrection of Christ. This is what it says in, in verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. Verse 44. This is uh, 1544 now, 1 Corinthians. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, there's a spiritual body. In other words, when we are in a natural body, and whenever we die, we are sown in the ground in a natural body. Of course, the dead in Christ, 
uh, shall rise first. Then we which are alive, if Christ comes back and we're still living, then we do not taste death, but we rise to meet the Lord in the air. Verse 49 here, I'm going to finish up. Uh, verse 48, rather. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly. That's us now. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Verse 49. As we have borne the image of the earthly, that is of Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Praise the Lord. So what I'm simply pointing out to you here is that the Abba Father is saying, Lord, I am your child. You are my father. I'm an heir. I'm an heir and a joint heir with Christ. And whatever Jesus received, that's what we will receive. Was he, was he resurrected? Yes. Was he glorified? Yes. Will we be resurrected? Yes. Will we be glorified? Yes. Because we are his children and we cry, Abba, Father, we are the heir. What Jesus received as the man Christ Jesus on this earth, what he received is what we will receive. Praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands and thank God for that. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We magnify you, God. You're so great, so good. We thank you for your great truth. You're everything to us, God. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection we have. Bless everyone here, Lord, this morning in this service to be ready to go when you come back, Jesus. And we look for your soon appearing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Praise God. And uh, before I move away from this, I wanted to say here that there's some things happening in the world today, folks, that's showing us that it's close to the end time. Boy, I got a lot of things to share with you in the coming weeks ahead and a lot of things developing in the world right now. And I got, I've just, sometimes I got so many things I want to teach you that I can't seem like I can't get to them all. But I just want to tell you here today that there's things developing in the world. I mean, it's, it's happening. And it won't be long before the Lord comes. I believe that with all my heart. Praise God. So stay faithful to God. If you're not ready to go and meet the Lord, get ready. And I think there's going to be a shaking up among backsliders, too, before the Lord comes back. Pray for your loved ones. Pray for those who are away from the faith, away from the truth. Pray for them. Because God's going to, I think, reveal some things to some of them that helps them to get back to God before it's too late. Let me move on here. Uh, there is one other verse of scripture here that I want to refer to. I want you to go back to Romans chapter 8. And in the latter part of the book of late, excuse me, the book, of, the book of Romans in chapter 8, in the 29th verse, there's a very interesting subject here. And I'm going to change subjects by referring to this. This is still Romans chapter 8, where it talks about <clears throat> waiting for the adoption and so forth. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is still about the subject of us being adopted into the resurrection or uh, being the, adopt the body being adopted into the heavenly body. He goes on to say here, <clears throat> verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, I want to talk to you here about this predestination. This is mentioned twice here in Romans. He also did predestinate, and uh, it's mentioned here in two verses. Also, this same 
verse of scripture is mentioned over here in Ephesians, the word predestination. Uh, it's not predestination, predestinate and then predestinated over here in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 5, having predestined, predestinated us unto the adoption. He has predestinated us unto the adoption. The word adoption appears there again. Uh, going very quickly to verse 11 here in Ephesians 1. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things according to the counsel of his own will. Now, there is, there is the belief that we are predestined to be saved or lost. I'm going to show you why that is not true as individuals. It's called individual predestination. And uh, brethren, if you'll hand out, could you hand out Matt? The copy there, I'm going to show you this on the screen. I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about it. And uh, we got these brothers handing out some material here for you. Let's see where we are with this. Focus, focus. Automatic focus. I'm going to zoom this up a little bit. Understanding predestination. Now, the reason I'm handing you copies, I know you can't read that too well. <clears throat> and I'm going to read just number one up here, and then I'll come back to this later. But I'm going to give you another handout in a second. <clears throat> but when you get this in your hand, it'll say Romans 8, 28, 29. It's the first verse that you learned. That's the one we just got through reading there. And... Uh, a under one says, what is predestination? Where it came from? Who believes it today? And I want you to say where it says, see handout. Not the one you've got, but the one I'm going to give you right now. Everybody got your first one? All right. Second handouts. Matt Mason's coming with those. And make sure that you get one of these. Now, I'm going to answer those first few statements there by with this with this uh paper that i'm going to hand out to you right now okay matt if you want to hand those out we need some other, we need some real we need some extra ushers to be coming in right behind them all right brother thank you and these are for you to keep this is for yours for your own record and i would say put them in your notes you know why because I don't know if we'll ever pass this way again. Amen. Next month I'll be 84 years old. I don't know if I'll pass this way again. I've got so many things to tell you and talk to you about and teach and so forth. I don't know if I'll come back this way again in my lifetime. <laughs> Amen. God love you. Praise God. Or until Jesus comes. This is what you're being handed now next. Whoops, it slipped out of my fingers. Now, everybody read that? No, I know you can't. So you got two papers. This is the one we're going to be looking at now. When you get it in your hands, I'm going to read it with you or read it for you, and then you can read it as we go along, and then I'm going to go back to the other chart. But look at this one very closely here. Everybody got number two? The doctrine of predestination. This is what it is, where it came from. And uh, I could give a 
probably a, I don't know. I'd give a long Bible study on this one for sure. The doctrine of predestination. Everybody got a copy? If you don't have it, raise your hand because I want it in your hands when I start reading it. So I want you to raise your hand, brother, and those that's got their hand up, make sure you get, get them a copy. There's several over here, several over here. All right. Keep your hand raised. All right. Raise your hand. Anybody you don't have? This one here doesn't have a copy. Are you out of copies? Oh, my goodness. All right. We, I think we're short of two or three. If, you, if you're a husband and a wife, share it, and then we'll get a copy made of the one you got in your hand. If, if you want to. <laughs> I don't want to tell you what to do. Amen. Look on with your companion there. All right. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We got one more over here. One more got her hand up. Anybody share with her? We've got two more. If you do like this, we can't see you. If you do like that, we can see you. All right. Several. All right. God love you. Here we go. I'm going to start reading here. Look at this closely now. The doctrine of predestination was introduced to Christianity by John Calvin in 1536. John Calvin was the founder of the Presbyterian Church. Uh, he established his church in, in Geneva, Switzerland. And uh, he followed Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the founder of the Lutheran Church in Germany in 1517. This has happened in 1536. They were sort of along about the same time. <clears throat> Luther never did accept predestination. Calvin uh, started the whole doctrine of it. And uh, I can tell you why he did and so forth. It's a lot involved there. But uh, he took over the work that was in Switzerland. Uh, Zwingli was the one who started that. He was a church uh, reformation leader. And he was killed in war in the battle fighting against the Catholics and the Protestants were fighting along about that time. The doctrine of predestination was introduced to Christianity, number one here, by John Calvin in 1536. It was the belief that every living person on earth is born to be saved or lost. And there is nothing anyone can do about it. In other words, each of us are predestined to go either to heaven or hell from birth. Now, that's the doctrine of predestination. It's not talked about a lot, but that's basically what is believed by it. So when you read about this, us being predestined, it means that we were predestined to be lost or, born, or, or we were predestined to be saved or lost when we're born. It's called individual predestination. John Calvin introduced this. Another term used to describe the doctrine of predestination is Calvinism, which is named after John Calvin himself. Verse 3, John Calvin was the founder of the Presbyterian Church, and through this denomination, Calvinism is continued to be perpetuated. Now, let me say one thing here. I'm not picking on any denominations, believe me. I'm just telling you the factual thing. All Presbyterians know that. They know this, everything. <clears throat> and so I'm not picking on anybody. I do want to say this, that I do appreciate every Christian denomination that upholds Christianity in some form or fashion. I do. Nowadays, with all the, the anti-Christianity going on, 
If a person says, I'm a Christian, I don't care what they are, I appreciate them. God bless them for it. So this is not picking on them. This is more or less stating facts that they know and we know and other denominations know. So John Calvin here, and promoted through the Presbyterian Church, are many denominations that are not, do not ascribe to predestination. The Lutherans do not. The Methodists do not. Uh, all, all the Pentecostal churches do not, of, of whether, whatever they are. Uh, and uh, Church of Christ, Christ Christian Church, uh, Nazarenes, Seventh-day Adventists, they do not subscribe to that either. But <clears throat> here's another, this goes on to say, verse 4, the doctrine of eternal security is a spinoff of the doctrine of predestination. It was adopted by the founding fathers of the Baptist faith who felt the concept of pure Calvinism to be too severe for the average person. They were right, of course. By emphasizing the positive, saved, and diminishing the negative, lost, they were able to make the gospel more attractive and evangelism and world missions more meaningful. In other words, if we're saved to be saved or lost, why have, why have missionaries? Why go into all the world and preach the gospel? Okay. And so it says, this brought about the term, once saved, always saved, and nothing being said about the lost. <clears throat> In brackets here, does this mean once lost, always lost? <clears throat> now, verse number five, to say once you're saved, you're always saved, is to invoke that inevitable question, but what if a saved person backslides, fails God, returns to sin, or he or she is, uh, is he or she saved or lost? That question is usually answered by one of two ways by the Calvinist. Here's one way they do it. Once you are saved, verse 4, you're always saved and doesn't matter what you do or how wicked you are, you can't be plucked from the Father's hand. They're quoting there from a scripture. This is usually stated at someone's funeral who had been a church member at one time but in his last years had turned to evil and wickedness. This once saved, always saved special treatment is usually reserved for those who are strong financial supporters in the church or have family members still attending. That's not being sarcastic. There's a lot of truth in that. I remember there was a, a very prominent man over in Orlando that died, and he had been a Baptist, and he had lived wickedly. And the guy died, and they had his funeral on the air, and I heard it. And dear Lord, they put him in heaven. They put him, they said, I know he was bad. I did wicked everything, but he was saved. Once he was saved, he was always saved and everything. And that's, he's not the only one that's happened that way. Here's B part of that, number five. The other answer, usually reserved for those who feel God and, and, and no one cares, is, is this, quote, he or she was simply never saved to start with. <coughs> so they said, if he, if he didn't live for God, oh, well, he never was saved in hell. These two answers are simply easy way outs. Verse 6, uh, number 6, Calvinism is held to be a fundamental doctrine by the Presbyterian Church and the Baptist Church in their church constitutions and bylaws. And as I said before, that this is the definition of it. Now, I'm going to go through this uh, brochure that I put on the, uh, the first one that I gave you here very quickly. And folks, the problem with that is that it conflicts with many other verses that state that it's God's will that all men be saved. And I, I don't have the time, our time's running out, but next week I'm going to pick up with this, and I'm going to go into a part two as well 
understanding the predestination, then under part two, understanding predestination. And I'm going to show you some things that's going to be very interesting to you, very eye-opening to you on a lot of other things, not just about predestination, but also about how God is working and operating in this world today. Let me just refer very quickly here, and I've got about one minute left. <clears throat> that is number two. Look on your first chart handout, number two. Save these till next week. The misunderstanding in this doctrine, the misunderstanding of this doctrine is that individuals who are predestined in these scriptures, it, in reality, it is the church collectively that is in reference here, not as individuals. Not as individuals. I don't have the time to do this, but if we had time, I could read a lot of scriptures to you, and we'll cover it next week. Verse number three, this is confirmed by the multiple use of the plural pronouns of these verses. And I've got here Romans 8, 28, 39, Romans 9, 1 through 3, Ephesians 1, 1 3, 3 through 12, Ephesians 3, 2 through 5. This is where it says we are predestined, us, our, everything's to do with a plural personal pronoun. Not, it's not I, me, and so forth. And so <clears throat> this is brought out in these verses of Scripture. Verse 4, number 4, Scriptures that prove it is God's will that all men be saved. These verses refute Calvinist doctrine that we're predestined to be lost, uh, pre-saved, predestined to be saved or lost from birth. And here's 1 Timothy. I'll talk to you about these next week. Second uh, Peter, Acts uh, 17, Matthew, where it just brings out emphatically that it's God's will that all men be lost. And I'll also show you now where the Bible says that we should pray for our president <laughs> and our governor, also for our mayor and for our senators. Amen. I'll show you that in the Bible. Everybody for that? Lord, they said, Brother Meyer, don't teach me that. Verse 5, scriptures that prove that everyone can be lost, or anyone can be lost. <clears throat> scriptures that prove that. Once saved, not always saved. And I'll give you, here's all kinds of scriptures there. Second Peter, this is in the bottom. Second Peter <coughs> 2, 4. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 4. 2 Peter 3, 9. On and on and on. And then it says here, scriptures that prove that anyone can be lost. I had said, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 20. My time's gone. I'm aware of it, and I'm conscious of it. And then finally, now understanding the book of life, the book of life from the foundation of the world. Our names are written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. I'm going to explain that. So simple, so simple, and yet misunderstood. It's all right there before your eyes. Folks, God love you. I'm in the middle of a great uh, subject here, and next week we're going to pick up where we left off. I want you to join me. Don't anybody miss it. You don't want to miss what's coming up next week. Let's stand together. Let's praise God. Let's glorify his name. Let's thank him here today. Jesus, we love your name. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Lord, we praise you for your goodness, your blessings, your promises, your presence, your power. Thank you, Jesus, for all things. Bless this service that's coming up next. Bless our singers, musicians. And we thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen.